This morning in our series on the Psalms, Divine Soul Music, hitting on some of the highlights of, of the Psalms. This morning I want to take us up to Psalm 12. I may or may not follow the Psalms in order. I might skip around, but so far I, it seems to be working just to follow through in the order they come. This morning Psalm 12 is before us. <coughs> Let me read it for us. Again, a reminder that this is the very word of the living God. Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. May he guide us and lead us and direct us by it as we come before it this morning. Let me pray for us, and let's come before the Word of God. Well, Lord God and Father in heaven, we now come before your Word. Again, we ask your blessing as it goes out, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us through us, that you would fulfill a promise that you have made, that it goes out and does not return to you void or empty that its sending is not futile, but rather that it is successful in the things for which you send it and accomplishes those things which you have purposed for it. Pour out your Holy Spirit here among us this morning. Open our eyes and open our ears to see and hear the things that you would have us learn. Plant this word deep in our hearts so that it might become a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we might walk according to what it teaches us. Father, we ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Is there such a thing as an honest person? There's the famous story handed down of the Greek philosopher Diogenes, who was famous for carrying around a lit lamp during the daytime And when people asked him why, he said, well, I'm looking for an honest man. He was himself a bit of a dodgy character. But can I find an honest man? Do I need a lamp in the light to find an honest man? Is it so hard to find an honest man that I need light in the daytime? Where can I find honesty? A song that we heard in our youth group when I was in 
high school, Billy Joel. Honesty is such a lonely word. Think about that, the poetry behind that. It is a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. And then as the song goes on, he, he tells the one to whom he's singing, it's mostly what I need from you. It's the thing I need from you most. Honesty. We want honesty. Well, we say we want honesty. <laughs> we want truth. Or we say we want truth. Are we even being honest about that desire? James, in that chapter for our New Testament reading, chapter 3, verse 8, claims that no human being can tame the tongue. He calls it a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Think about that. A restless evil, full of deadly poison. It cannot rest in its pursuit of evil. The great American thinker and writer, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., wrote this, Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Think about that. You've seen advertisements for, maybe you own, these, these tools that they sell now, power tools. The battery-powered tool. It's got the handle and the battery, and you can attach various things onto it. It could be a leaf blower. It could be a, a circular saw. It could be a drill. It could be a sander. Different tools, same handle. That's what Holmes is saying about sin. Lie is the handle that goes with every sin. David says in this psalm that everyone, he doesn't exclude anybody, everyone utters lies to his neighbor in verse 2. And in the psalm he laments the wickedness of deceit. Are lies really that pervasive? Does everyone really lie that much? James elsewhere in his letter says that if you've broken one commandment, even the smallest, you've broken them all. I think I, I took you through an exercise where I, I showed that um, when we went through the, the series on salvation. Is every sin tied to a lie? Well, think about this. Take the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You have to either believe a lie or tell yourself a lie to believe that something other than God should be worshipped or be your God. It's a lie. To worship God in any other way than what He commands. Again, you're either believing a lie or telling a lie to yourself that I can worship God in this other way through an idol or some other means not according to his word. The third command, not to dishonor the name of God. Again, you have to believe a lie, and the lie has, has to be that God doesn't care about his own honor, that he's not jealous for his own glory. You have to believe a lie, and you can do the exercise yourself. Go through the rest of the commandments. You have to believe a lie. Lies are the handle which fits every sin. Lying is pervasive. 
And our lying tongues are a deadly poison for ourselves and for others around us. Again, where is honesty? Where is the honest man? Can that person be found? Psalm 12 comes as a lament about deceit, about lying. But, in an echo of Psalm 1, where there are two kinds of people, the righteous and the wicked, in this psalm, there are the liars and the true. In this case, everyone lies, but God speaks truth. I want to explore those two basic ideas this morning and some things we can take away from them. This idea that everyone utters lies, the claim that David makes in verse 2 of the psalm. Hopefully by now you can see lying is pervasive, it is extensive, it's a part and parcel of every sin. David sees it as so extensive that he says the godly one is gone completely. The faithful have vanished, he says in verse 1, from among the children of man. No one godly, no one faithful. What does that sound like? There is no one righteous. No, not one. David's not saying anything new. Everyone lies, he says, in verse 2. Everyone lies to his neighbor. There are different kinds of lies, if we think about it. There are just mistruths, deliberate falsehoods, saying what is false on purpose, or, on the, on the opposite, opposite side of the scale, deliberately withholding truth when it deserves to be told. Withholding truth when it would be harmful to others or to the truth itself. What scripture elsewhere, elsewhere calls calling evil good and good evil. Just straight out flat falsehood. There's the kind of falsehood that's a slander against another person. Destroys their character. Not just lying, but also murdering want to bring the commandments into it again. Deliberately saying what is false about another person in order to do them harm, to demean their character, to cause them injury, to break up a relationship, to cause harm in a relationship. Those are pretty nasty forms of lying, but then there's the, uh, truly this is the kind we all enjoy the most, if we are honest with ourselves. The little half-truths, the gossip, the whispering about people, complaining unjustly about our circumstances and about others. And then there are lies that are spoken to flatter, to deceive, to make someone think you're their friend, you're their ally, when in fact you're their enemy. To advance your own cause against the cause of another person. I think this is what David is getting at in verse 2 when he says, They lie with flattering lips and a double heart. They flatter. You're so great. You're so wonderful. I think you're the most intelligent person I know. And they're lying through their teeth. Whatever the lie might be. 
we picked it up from the Native American Indian culture. They speak with a forked tongue like a serpent. They're double-tongued. They say one thing out of one side of the mouth and another thing out of the other side of the mouth. And they do it to flatter you, to disarm you, to deceive you, to win. You can look at uh, the larger catechism, question number 145, if you want a really long list of the ways in which we break the ninth commandment when we lie. David just simply says, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. And on every side in verse 8, the wicked prowl. Vileness is exalted among the children of men. And then they go even further than that in verse 3. They boast about it. They make great boasts and continue into verse 4. As we lie, we will prevail. We're going to win. Our lips are with us. Our lies are with us. They're working. (laughs) Our lies are working. Who is master over us? We can fool everybody. We're going to lie and we're going to get away with it. That's the attitude. It's going to work. And they boast about their successful deceit. They deliberately lie and they believe it will work. In the end, they're fooling themselves. The truth is everybody lies, one way, shape, or form. You lie, I lie, we all lie. So what do we do? What do we do with this situation? What do we do with David's lament? We do what David does. David appeals to the God of truth. Psalm 12 is a lament, but it's also a prayer, an appeal for deliverance. The cry of a soul, a heart that sees widespread evil and arrogant deception and appeals to God to do something about it. Specifically, to save. That's how the psalm starts. Save, O Lord. Why? Because people lie, and they think they're going to be successful. Save, O Lord. David appeals to the God, the one who is not deceitful, not a liar, who himself is truth. And he paints a contrast in verse 6. Contrast to the lying words of mankind, the words of the covenant Lord. They're pure words. They're like silver, purified seven times, put through the purifying process seven times to remove any hint of impurity or dross. The Lord speaks truth because the Lord himself is truth. It's interesting to me that there are two quotes in this psalm. There's the quote of the wicked, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? And then in answer to David's prayer, the groans of the poor and and the needy, the Lord answers. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, 
I will now arise. And do what? Arise and place him in the safety for which he longs. He desires, he craves safety. So by verse 5 of the psalm, the Lord has arisen, the Lord has spoken, and he's made a promise to deliver and to save. And when God makes a promise, he follows through. It will be done. David has no doubt. By verse 7, he can say, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. So the wicked are going to lie. They're going to lie for their own gain, for their own profit, to get power, to get success, thinking they have no master. But the Lord God of truth arises to save his own from these vile, wicked people. Again, when God says he will do it, he will do it. There is no doubt. This is the essence of what this psalm is dealing with as we look at it this morning. So what do we learn from it? Three things I want you to consider, all of us to consider. First, that there is truth. There is one truth, and there is one source of truth. The Lord God, the covenant Lord God, is truth, and his word is truth. David claims this, and we can claim it as well. In fact, we must claim it to have any hope. Jesus makes the same claim in his prayer in John 17, 17. He's asking the Father to sanctify his people in the truth. What is truth? He says it right right afterwards. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It means there's a standard for truth. There's a standard for right and wrong. A standard for right and wrong thinking. And that standard is God's holy word given to us. So every claim, every statement, every idea of every person has to be measured against the one standard of truth, the word of God. The world around us looks to reason and fails. They come to conflicting answers. The world around us looks to experience. Well, that's where I can find truth. But also comes to conflicting answers, not just among two different people, but even in myself. Because when I feel one way, my truth is over here. When I feel another way, my truth is over there. I'm a pretty mellow Scandinavian. But I have moods too. (laughs) And when your mood changes, your truth changes. So experience can't lead you to truth. It's folly. Science fails us. It's changed its mind on a variety of subjects over the years. The experts fail. I love it how news stories always quote the experts. Experts say, experts this. Except the experts keep changing their minds about things. This is good for you. No, now it's bad for you. No, now it's good for you again. We have to turn over and over 
to the same standard that was clung to by our Protestant forebears. Scripture. Scripture alone. Scripture is the only infallible standard of truth. It cannot err. It does not err. Well, that's all fine and good, so what does it mean? It means we have to know the Word. If you want to be protected against lying liars and the lies that they lie, including yourself, you have to make use of this resource given to us by God. His very own word. Become a student of it. Know it. Understand it. And know how to apply it. And live by it. Which leads to the second lesson for us to consider this morning. Living by the Word. Every single person who claims Jesus as Savior, claims to be one of His followers, His disciples, we must, this is not an option, folks, we must pursue vigilantly, zealously, relentlessly, we must pursue truth. Partly because in pursuing truth, we pursue God himself and become more and more like Christ, our Savior. But also because in pursuing truth, we're the ambassadors of the God of truth. If we lie, if we engage in falsehood, we fail as ambassadors. Our witness, our testimony is stained and weakened. Unfortunately, lying and falsehood is all too common in in the church. We commit falsehood, but we're also, we are gullible. We are snared by it far too often. Participating in deceit and falsehood without discernment. We gossip far too easily. We talk to pastors and elders of churches, and that's one of the main (laughs) themes of frustration or or sorrow in their churches. Just too much gossip. People complaining, speaking ill of one another. Complaining about a brother or a sister, an elder, a pastor. To tear them down, to sow disunity in the body for power usually or influence or just spite. And then the gullibleness comes in when we get caught up in in debates and arguments, especially those around us, and perpetuate the lies that in this day and age are prevalent. They're just common, everyday occurrences in the discussions and debates of our own age. It can be as simple as passing on an email, forwarding it to all your friends. Read this! Or I see it in my Facebook news feed all the time. The little pictures or the little quotes, the little memes that come up. That perpetuate lies. Links to articles by fake news organizations that are full of lies. Sometimes we know it isn't true, but we like what it says. And so we pass it on anyway. I've actually had people say to me, well, I know it's not true, but the idea in it is true. And I I want people to get the idea. No, (laughs) that's wrong. It's not true. 
Sometimes we should know it isn't true, but we don't. We're not discerning. The Bereans checked Paul. We don't check the things that come to us. I just got this, this email this week from someone I love immensely. You've heard this story probably. After 9-11, a Budweiser beer distributor is driving to a little convenience store owned by some Arabic or Arabic-looking people. And as he arrives to deliver more Budweiser beer, they're laughing about the news of 9-11, laughing about what happened as the towers fell. And he's disturbed by it, and so he calls his boss at the distributor's office. He says, what do I do? And, the, and his boss says, I'll tell you what to do. Go in there and remove every Budweiser product out of the store, and we'll never take in anything back to them again. So that's what he does. And he's got a friend who's a driver for Pepsi. He tells his friend about this, and his friend says, well, we're going to do the same thing, not just Pepsi products, but everything owned by Pepsi, Frito-Lay, all the snacks. And word spreads and gets out to other distributors and other suppliers, and they all begin pulling their products from this convenience store so that it goes out of business. Pass this story on. American resolve. Except it's a, it's a lie. It's an out-and-out lie. It never happened. Now, they, again, they mean well. Hey, let's be proud. Let's show how evil these wicked people are. Christians do this. Don't do it. We see it about. We see it in the political arena. My goodness, we're a, month, we're a year away from the presidential election. The process has already long since started. And what 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 are people out there doing? Looking for lies they can tell about the other candidates on both sides. And unfortunately, this is frustrating too. We have, to, we have to question the people that we support. When caught in a lie, they won't admit it. They try to explain it away. Oh, it's not that big a deal, or he didn't mean it that way. or No, just admit the lie and move on, for crying out loud. But we participate in the defense of, of lying. Is political power really worth falsehood? After all, it's their agenda, not God's, that's at stake. They're doing it to be master. Who is master over us? Let me have power. Let me have influence. We Christians should be stewards of truth and protectors of truth, practitioners of truth. And we're not to the degree that we should be. And that is shameful. We exaggerate. We revel in false words about those we dislike. We make claims about ourselves that are not true. Make claims, make up truth or stories or facts about others that aren't true. All, all to puff ourselves up. Make ourselves look knowledgeable or experienced or wise. And so we're not seen as stewards of truth. We're seen as hypocrites. And we ourselves are largely to blame for that. What does David say? Save, O Lord. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our own sin. 
And that's the third lesson we can walk away from. God does save. David is confident of it in this psalm. He will keep them. He will guard them. He will protect them. In fact, he has saved us from the consequences of our own lies, our own sins, our own falsehood. Saves us from the lies and, and arrows of, of others who would attack us with falsehood. Think of Job and, and the lies told about him by the accuser. God answered. God answers David's prayer and ours. Save, save, O Lord. The Hebrew word there, Yesha, is the same root that's found in the name Joshua, or Yeshua, or in Greek, Jesus. Who saves? The Savior saves. Jesus saves. He came to save the sick, and the lost, and the liars, and the sinners. He places us in safety, and guards us forever. In Christ. From each other, from our own sin. By grace alone and through faith alone. In Christ alone. Takes away all that sin. All that lying. Gives us in exchange the perfect obedience and truthfulness of Jesus Christ. For all who repent of lying and sin. Who admit it. Who own it and then seek to turn away from it. God offers safety in Christ Jesus by grace and through faith. Do you long for truth? Are you one of those poor and needy who groan, who long for truth? Are you tired of lies and deceit in yourself and in the world around you? Are you weary of your own tangle of lies? You know, you tell one lie, you've got to tell more. It's a web that gets ever more entangled. Are you tired of that, trying to maintain it, trying to support it with an ever-increasing, complicated web of falsehood? Then turn to the one who is true, whose words are pure silver. Repent and believe in Jesus. Again, let me turn to Romans 8, 1 and 2 that we read earlier this morning. For everyone who does this, this is a true word from God. There is no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what matters. That's what matters in the end. This word is true. And this word is life for all who believe. Let's pray. Excuse me. Father in heaven, again, we turn to you and seek your guidance and your will, your wisdom. Protect us from our own sins, our own falsehood. Teach us truth. Teach us how to walk in truth. Teach us how to speak truth. To defend the truth. To put away falsehood and lies. It's such an easy thing to fall into. I do it, we all do it. But we don't want to do it. We can only do it by the power of the Spirit that you give to us. 
And we are thankful, so thankful, <coughs> for the mercy and grace that you have shown to us. That even as we continue to struggle with this and many other sins, that we are secure in the salvation that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. That nothing can snatch us out of, our, out of your hand. Even our own lies, even our own falsehood. As we continue to look in repentance and faith to Christ and to you who provided that salvation for us. What a thing it is to know that there's no condemnation, no condemnation, despite the sins we know we commit in the deepest secrets of our own heart. Bless us, Lord. Give us strength to be renewed into the image of Christ, to walk according to your word, to be truth-tellers and to be known as truth-tellers, not for our sake, but for your glory and for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. We pray it all in his precious name. Amen.